You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. We're going to be reading something from the Bible. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd love it if you could turn to Exodus. Exodus, second book of the Bible and chapter 6. Last week, Rich did an outstanding job on starting us on this series, But God. We recognise that as believers, life is not always easy. There is a battle to face, struggles to overcome. Things can seem impossible, but God. And he looked at the life of Abraham. You can listen to it on the website if you want to catch up with that one. I'm going to be looking at the life of Moses. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word, we ask that you'd speak into every heart. We thank you we come to an almighty God. And we don't just want to think, oh, nice story. God, we want our hearts to be open to hear from you. We thank you you've spoken so clearly to us this morning. It feels like the whole sermon's already been said. God, we believe that you're speaking to us. I pray that we'll have the ears to hear and the courage to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Verse 2, verse 6, and verse 8. This was the first thing stated, the last thing declared, as well as popping up in the middle of this story. You see, there is power in the name of God. There's power in the name of God. I always feel it's a real privilege to preach because this week I've got to read the chapter before. I've just read to you a few verses from chapter 6. But actually, if you set this in context, what you realise is that there's a duel going on almost between God and Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the greatest power of the day. He was the unshakable empire of his time. I don't know who you think of as the most powerful. We discovered this week the most wealthiest man of the world, the man who owns Google. 
Or maybe it's Amazon. It's funny, isn't it? Because I guess historically people have said they are bigger than Jesus, if you remember John Lennon. Or bigger than God, if you remember Noel Gallagher and Oasis. I guess what we realise is that right in the beginning of this, there are questions going on about who is God. If we'd have read chapter 5, you'd have realised, who is God? So Pharaoh himself asked the question in Exodus 5 verse 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. This act of defiance. Who's God? I guess some of us are asking that even this morning. I've been dragged along with a friend, family member. It's the start of a new year. I thought I'd go to church. Who is this God? Why should he shape my life? Why should he tell me how to behave? We know that Moses himself even asked this question. If you flick back to Exodus chapter 3, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and they say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. They say, what is his name? What should I tell them? I guess that wasn't a question of defiance as so much a question of definition. God, I just need to know more about you. Maybe some of us are asking that question even this morning. Look, I I do believe I would consider myself a Christian, but God, I just need to know more about you. This whole story, if you don't know in the Bible, this is the people, the Israelites were slaves they, they were in Egypt, they'd been slaves for 400 years. Moses is the great deliverer, he turns up. Okay, God's the great deliverer, but Moses thought he'd done the job. God answers these questions in the 10 plagues that are unleashed on the Egyptians. God answers these questions with the parting of the Red Sea. God answers the questions and said, I am the Lord, I control people, I control nature, I control history and all other gods. See, I assume the Israelites have been asking questions. They had been slaves for 400 years, enforced labor, worked ruthlessly, is what the Bible tells us. God sees their misery. God hears their crying. God is concerned about their suffering. God intervenes in the fact that he sends Moses, and what happens? Things get worse. It's unbelievable, really, isn't it? You know, for 400 years, they've been crying out, God, where are you? God, send us someone to lead us. God, help us. God sends a guy along. He goes to Pharaoh and says, let the people go. And Pharaoh says, well, you've got enough time to start talking about that. You can make the bricks without straw. Work gets harder. Moses then complains to God at the end of chapter 5. He said, well, I'm doing what you told me to do. Why is things so tough? I guess to me, the surprise of chapter 5, this is all introduction to where we're starting and I am the Lord, is not the response of Pharaoh, who did not want to let the people go. The surprise of chapter 5 is the response of the people that complain to God. You see, if you don't know God, you'll be tempted to be frustrated and angry when his plans don't match yours. If you don't know God you'll be tempted to complain and be frustrated and angry when his plans don't match yours. Moses ends up complaining and says, oh God, why is it not going as I thought? 
It's easy to be a passionate believer about Jesus Christ when we get what we want from God, but how do we behave when we do not get what we want? How do we stop and see that he is God? The gospel story is this, that he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's not at my personal beck and call. This is not Aladdin. We don't rub the pot with a prayer. He says, I am the Lord. Look at me. It's been great in the worship just to stop and think, oh yeah, you're God. That's what I love about Sundays when we gather together. I love it's almost like the busyness of the week. You just lay it down and you come and think, oh God, you're the God of heaven. That's why we encourage people to pray, to worship each day. Don't leave it to a Sunday. What do we discover about this I am God? There's just two things that I'm going to share with you this morning. The first is this. He chooses the people by grace. It says in verse 3, I prayed to Abraham, Isaac and to Jacob. It says there that we know that they were foreigners. I've lived abroad myself for a year. I know how disempowering that can feel. He's heard about the Egyptians enslaving them. It's funny because so often when I think about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, it's easy to think, oh, they were the great giants of the Old Testament. But as I was thinking about it this week, Abraham was actually quite weak. His wife was so beautiful that he passed off twice as his sister because he was afraid of people. Isaac, his son, copied the same mistake. When I read about Isaac this week, all I could find was he passed off his wife as his sister because, again, he was afraid. And the next thing he did was he was a dad who had favourites. Well, if you remember nothing else from this morning, if you're a dad, don't have favourites. You can see that from the life of Isaac. And then we get Jacob. Jacob, what, what do I think about Jacob? Jacob was a schemer who fell out with his brother and his uncle. The Bible is honest. Yeah, it's almost like that was your history. That was your pedigree. These people are described as slaves and foreigners. You see, God chooses the people not because of who they are, but because of who he is. He chooses because of grace. In Deuteronomy, another book in the Old Testament, it says this, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples, for you were the fewest of all people. I know when I was at primary school and we used to have uh, picking and football teams, we used to stand on the playground. You know what I'm saying? You always wanted to choose the people on your team that were going to win. Oh, I know that they're going to score the goals. I know that they can hack anybody. <laughs> I'll have them on my team because I don't want to be hurt by them. You, you could pick people to your advantage. But the Bible seems to say that God chose these people because of grace. I'm going to suggest that this can be quite a challenge if you live in Ealing. Because actually, we love Ealing, and Ealing is a great place to live, and you've done well to settle here. Your job might be going well. Your family might be going well. You might be starting the year thinking, actually, I've got more saved than I've ever had, and I've got this book than this book. Actually, it's by grace that we're called by God. It's the grace of God. Nothing we deserve Paul wrote this to the church in Corinthians. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. 
You see, the whole thing of God having a people is God took the initiative. He approaches us. God establishes the covenant. It's based on grace. How many times can I say this? Because it just blows me away. Deuteronomy 7, the verse before the one I just quoted says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. His treasured possession. There's this sense of God choosing. He comes along by grace and says, I will have these. That's how God feels about you. Wow, God chose me by grace. I mean, that seems too good to be true. You see, if we believe in grace, then it's nothing to do with what we've achieved. It's nothing to do with what we've earned. It's nothing to do with our own effort. If we know it's ultimately by grace, then I cannot look down on anyone else. Because I only look down on somebody else when I think I've done better. I went cycling with Paul yesterday. He's trying to get me fit. I felt I was okay until we hit a hill and then he just left me every time. (laughs) I think next week I'm going to have him. Because I compare myself and I think he's better than me and I feel worse. But if it's by grace, hey, it's got nothing to do with how well he can cycle. (laughs) Sometimes spiritually the challenge is that if we're doing well, it's easy to compare ourselves to somebody else. Why aren't they serving as regularly as I am? Why aren't they giving as much as I give? No, no, it's, it's by grace. We are chosen by grace. That changes everything. You see, Pharaoh made them work for everything. God says it's about grace. Pharaoh wanted them seven days a week on task. God's request was let them come away and have time with me. It was a grace thing. Peter, in the New Testament, writes, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, now you've received mercy. It is grace. I don't know what you've done or what you haven't done. But the good news this morning is that God chooses you by his grace. My second point. They were redeemed for relationship. It says in verse 6, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will take you as my people, And I will be your God. The whole thing, this whole picture is that they've been slaves, and we know that, for 400 years. Literally, God breaks down the Egyptians until Pharaoh lets the people go. He protects them because then when they've gone, if you know the story, Pharaoh suddenly thinks, all our workers have gone, let's charge after them. They're suddenly caught because there's this sea in front of them. The army's coming behind them. God protects them. God makes a way where there is no way. He literally feeds and clothes them in a hostile terrain. He pays a price they couldn't pay. He redeemed them. He received ownership by paying a specified sum for them. That's really what it means. But do you know what he redeemed them for? So that they could be his people and he could be their God. I love that. 
What it really says is, this is the whole thing of scripture. I'm going to be here right in your midst. I want to be redeemed for relationship. To be known. This is the but God that we believe in, don't we? He redeemed them from slavery where they had no identity into intimacy where they could know God. It says in Leviticus, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves. I broke the bars of the yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. God is saying that I'm here, I'm with you. I just think it's amazing, isn't it? When I was at secondary school, I was telling you we used to pick football teams. I'm one of our three boys We're every other year. And we had another family in the church that also had three boys. And they were every other year. So between our two families, we covered six years of secondary school. And so the nice thing was, if you took on one of us, you took on six of us. And I like that. You know, I like the fact that I could turn up. And I was quite small at secondary school, often got into trouble. But I could always say, take it up with my older brother. I, I wanted to know that there was someone for me. I wanted to know there was someone on my side. I wanted to know that he was there. You know, God is with you. I mean, this is what the Bible says. We're called, if you read the whole theme of the Bible, I would say, here we go, 66 books in 66 seconds. God was with his people. They sinned. It got messed up. They, the whole book then is discovering about how to get back with God until you get to heaven where God dwells with his people again. There you go. Done the whole book in one minute. In Revelation... Think about it. Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. God has redeemed us to have relationship. I don't know what your dreams are for 2019, but God's is this relationship with you. The word that came this morning. What was it? Abba Father. Intimacy. Closeness. Connection. Just think, oh wow, that is what God wants. We know that this is what Jesus has achieved for us. It says here that God was going to redeem the Israelites with this outstretched arm. I believe that the redeeming ultimately is when Jesus outstretched his arms on the cross. That when Jesus died in our place, as we've been singing about this morning, that he took the wrath that was aimed for us, that we therefore can know God. Jesus was so much better than even this situation here, because here God outstretched his arm, and what happened? The enemies took the punishment. Yep, the Egyptians that were following him, following the people, They get washed up by the sea. They get killed. It's almost like God's outstretched arm came and killed the enemies of one people at one time. But in the cross, with the outstretched arm, what happened is God himself took the punishment. Not somebody else. When our times get tough, when we need to think, but God, we need to look at the cross Paul says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption. That this is what this whole story is about. It's about God. We were slaves. We had 
trouble. We'd been distant from God for years. But God sent his son to die for us. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This but God. I'm not obviously doing very well this morning because by now I'd expect most of you to be on your chair doing a hallelujah. Seriously, I think sometimes when we sing some of these truths, when we read this, you think, this is incredible. I was a slave, but God. God stretched out his hand. God calls me to relationship with him and with others. God has chosen a people. Last week, the but God was all individual. What God's going to do in your life? What God's going to do in your life? Actually, I think this week, the whole but God is what about the church? You see, we've made Christianity an individual thing. It's my walk with God. We've made Christianity, if you pray this prayer, then you can know God forgives you. But actually, if you read this, you think God makes a relationship people-wide. That's why Sundays are so important. That's why church is so important. Joel Olstein, I'm not going to quote him on many things, but I would quote him on this. You can be committed to church, but not committed to Christ. You could have come this morning and be committed to church and not committed to Christ. But he says you cannot be committed to Christ and not committed to church. Oh, so it's impossible, he's saying, to be a people of the God, to know the but God, and then actually to say, well, it's me and God, but I don't go to church. It's me and God, but I can't fit in encourage next Saturday. It's me and God, but I don't want to pray. Now, actually, he's saying this. If you are committed to God, you will be committed to the church. Josh McDowell, he's an evangelical Christian apologist, says this. When it comes to my salvation, becoming a Christian, all I need is Jesus. After my salvation, everything is Jesus plus the church. When people preach that all you need is Jesus, they cut you and I, I cut you and I off from one of the greatest sources of healing, which is the body of Christ. Don't go it alone. You won't make it. So I think the but God in our lives is this, that actually we were slaves and he's joined us. He's joined us to a people. And that's the whole thing of it. Yeah, tonight we're doing this, join the family. And if you're not part of the family, come along, find out. Why? Because actually we can be part of the people of God. Why do we have these meetups? Why, why do we encourage you to sign up for one of these things? Because actually there's something about connecting to the people of God. If you were around last year, people said, golly, Pete, if I had a pound for every time you'd mention the CBR journal, I'd be a rich person. So I thought I'm going to plug it in one more time. Why? Why do I find that so challenging? Because actually you're reading the Bible in community. That's what's challenging about it. So you read your chapter, you then text your group about what you've heard, and you hear what they've heard. Oh, Because God has called us to community. Whereas some of us, what we do is we try and read the Bible and then think, oh, it's just me in my small corner. It's me and God. No, but the the beauty of this is actually you've read it and then you thought, oh, what have you heard? What have I heard? How do we share together? Okay, I was away last week, so I'm expecting a bit of grace this week. 
This is why we encourage you to come and pray on Wednesday night as a church. Because we are the people of God. And do you know what? When, when we gather together, look, I know theologically God is with us every moment of every day. I know that wherever you are, commuting, working up in the city, a mum at home, you know, studying at college or university, God is always with you. I totally believe that. But I also believe there's something special about when the people of God come together. Jesus said two or three, I'm right there in the midst. And so I think, look, on Wednesday night when we pray, God is there. Oh, but it's a but God moment, isn't it? God is there. I mean, even on a Sunday, I think God is here. Why do I love it? Well, yeah, I mean, there's nice coffee and there's obviously amazing people. But God is here. And if I don't believe that, I might as well be cycling up a hill after Paul, mightn't I? No, but God. I got given a book for Christmas called Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. I don't know if you ever had a present like this. I got given it, I unwrapped it, my wife has now taken it and read it. I thought, was it a present for me or for you? She said, let's read a chapter at a time. I said, okay. And I said, okay, have you read this week's chapter? She said, it was so good, I've finished the whole book. I said, okay. I'm only on chapter two. But he says this. There is no greater honour on earth than to be part of God's church. Wow. There is no greater honour on earth than to be part. So the but God in your life is that you don't do life on your own. You're part of the church. And part of the church is not a name on a list. It's a community. It's relationship. That's why we ask for your form. Not so that, oh yeah, it's just a database. It's how do we connect? It's but God. I know some of you are thinking, I'm just quoting older folk. So here you go. Lewis Hamilton. Oh, did you know about him in the church? Lewis Hamilton says, I love my ink. I don't think it's writing letters that it's talking about. I think it's tattooing. He says, they all have a meaning. I'm very strong in my faith. So I wanted to have some religious images. The compass on my chest is there because church is my compass. Mm. So I've got a tattooist coming this morning. And if you'd all... No, no, I haven't. (laughs) But I thought, oh yeah, I wonder how many of us, if we had to put a tattoo on our chest, would think, oh, it's going to be the church because that's what I'm really committed to. And that's my compass for life. But God. You see, but God takes us. You see, sin separates us. That's the gospel message. Yet when you sin, you end up falling out with your husband and wife. You fall out with your family. You fall out with your friends. Sin divides. But God unites. That's the gospel, isn't it? God pulls us together. So how do you have an isolated Christian? But God says, no, come on, this is it. We are community together. But God should change everything. We are a people chosen by grace. We are redeemed for relationship. This is paid for by Jesus. There's no greater honour than for us going forward in 29 to think, hey, I get to be a part of the church. Isn't that the privilege? Father, we do pray. 
that we would see something of being united together as your people. I pray you'd forgive us where we've got hurt in the past and we've turned our back. Hurt in the past and so we don't want to commit. Hurt in the past so we no longer trust. We want to be on the edge. We want to be in control. I pray instead that we realise we're chosen by grace. We're redeemed for relationship. Relationship with you and one another. I'll just finish with this story. We were telling stories earlier on of how God has done some amazing things in restoring people. My older brother was very badly hurt by the church. When we were teenagers, uh, 18, I won't go into all the details, but basically the youth group leader's wife ran off with one of the young people in our church. My brother was so horrified, he thought, I don't want anything to do with God. For 25 years, he would never go to church. I'd been doing this job for 25 years, and um, he'd come down to visit me, and he often used to say, you go off and do your God thing, I'll cook you a nice lunch. And I used to think, man, I'd rather have a bag of crisps and a sandwich come to church. I had the privilege of preaching and taking my grandfather's funeral This was about four or five years ago. And as a result of that, my brother recommitted his life to Christ and now goes to church every week. I just feel that some of us have been hurt in the past by church. And so we've kept our distance. And I think the but God for you in 2019 is for your year of restoring a year of restoration. Don't believe, oh, I, I could never trust them again. Look, they always say, if you find a perfect church, don't join it, you'll spoil it. We are not perfect here. But we know it's the grace of God and we are committed to relating together as we go forward in 2019.